Hello and welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I am your host, Steve Hall. This you're listening to is part two of the two-part series with Broderick Chavez from Evil Sports Performance. In this episode, we're talking more about bodybuilding specifics. How should you attack a contest prep? What should your peak week strategy look like? And we also touch on refeed strategies and what they should look like for a physique athlete. So guys, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I sure did. Take care and talk to you soon. And that that, for that break, well, I guess that's why you do see people. I think there's even people that could potentially like, for example, fat loss. You see people doing body uh, bodybuilding shows and they might take 30 weeks to get to stage when they could have maybe taken half that time, but been more aggressive. Do you yes. think there's a place which is there one you aside to being more effective or is there kind of a, a limit that you should look to lose fat at? You know, it's funny. Everybody in your shoes that interviews me asks that very thing. <laughs> and, um, and this is where, you, you know, Mike Isretel and I differ a little, you know, Mike would give you some really hard, fast, you know, ah, oh, studies have shown that you get enzymatic downregulation at the whatever receptor at a after X amount of time. And the thing is, he's right. The problem is, I think he needs to step back a moment and look at the slightly bigger picture and realize that from the neck down, human beings are really well-designed, well-adapted, well-programmed machines that do, in fact, follow all of those rules that he just laid out. The problem is from the neck up is a shit mess and it can interfere with anything. Okay. So what happens is you've got these really hard, fast and well thought out and well adapted biological rules, ultimately superseded by this whimsical, emotional, dumb shit (laughs) melon at the top of your body. And so you know, you say you got this one person doing it 30 weeks and one person doing it 15 weeks, and you say, which is better? And I say, for who? Well, again, how hard are they willing to work? Mm-hmm. How motivated are they? What is their pain tolerance? What is their this thing? What is their that thing? And the reality is that 30-week answer might be perfect for those conditions because that person just has that set to work with biologically you could probably push their body much much farther much much faster mm-hmm. but emotionally psychologically organizationally on and on and on even financially which is even outside of the you know the the psychological realm they might not be able to tolerate a greater pace mm-hmm. because every time you pull that lens back like looking at the stock market you're seeing a little bit bigger version of that total trend line and you're taking into account additional 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 things imagine if you did that with the stock market you know you look at an hour you look at a day you look at a week a month now think about getting all the way out to looking at a year then realize oh shit other countries have their own stock markets so now we start to look at other countries and then eventually we look at an entire global you know trend line there's never a point when you can go i've taken into account every factor no you can't you don't I mean, that's just the way physics works. It's the way science works. It's the way the cosmos works. So I I absolutely understand and respect everything Mike says, and I wouldn't for a moment discount it. But I am also aware that there are additional components that his model doesn't necessarily always encompass. 
Mm-hmm. And I guess that's where a lot of people look at, and I've done it myself, where I talk, I talk about, okay, on paper and like biology would dictate that this is like the most optimal route. But when psychology comes into it, uh, you can't get rid of that. There's psychosocial factors that just make everything a lot more complicated. Yeah, and, and I'll give you a perfect example, and it, it's a shade off topic, and it's even a shade outside of this conversation because it's a conversation I had on a different podcast. But I was asked very specifically, you know, what is the final word on when's the best time to do cardio? Is it is it, you know, no food in the morning? Is it fasted cardio, or is it before your weight training, or is it after your weight training, or is it on an entirely separate day? Or And, you know, my answer was, you know, my good friend Lyle McDonald and I talk about this all the time. And he'll reference studies and I'll reference studies. And there's this, you know, it's been shown that cardio first thing in the morning before food does seem to have a bigger impact on your day long metabolism. And it, but because it's in the absence of nutritional substrates, it has been shown to be slightly more catabolic. And then you, you could talk this shit to death. And you, and then Mike Isretel would also remind you that. Cardio after weight training has been shown to somewhat downregulate protein synthesis after exercise. But the reality is we're people. We have jobs. We have children. We have all these things. And my answer to this person was, I think, to them very disappointing in that the time at which you are most able to accomplish that task is the absolute best time. I don't want to sound like some kind of self-help guru because that's, that's douchey. But the reality is I can give you the perfect answer. It's exactly, you're doing it exactly 1057 on Wednesday for 49 and a half minutes. But if you're busy, then what the fuck value is that? It has no value. The value is do it when you are able to do it. And then we will structure it in such a way to be as efficacious as possible in that context mm-hmm. that's the answer that's always the answer the, the, the perfect laboratory answer just never applies in something as dynamic as your life mm-hmm. it's yeah. valuable to know that technical answer and understand that's what helps you make the most efficacious decision you can but the idea that you're going to become a laboratory animal and just do it, you know, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to have exactly a blood sugar of 97 and I'm going to have a body temperature of this. And then, no, you're fucking not. Just stop. Just stop. It, it, you're not. It, it just drives me crazy. It's like these stupid fucking supplements that everybody's, you know, that's been shown to raise testosterone to 227%. I'm like, yeah, in fucking rats for four minutes on a Wednesday on a full moon. None of that applies to you. Stop. It, 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 ah. This is I, what I, I mean, a lot of the stuff you're talking about here is just bigger picture thinking, which is brilliant because it's, we all get lost within the woods sometimes and like we have to take a step back. And this is, I mean, I, I get the same. I'll have clients who will want the, the perfect time to do something. And I give them, I, again, I feel disappointing as if like I'm not giving them enough value. And I just say like, it doesn't matter that much. Just get it done. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, see, and that's what I, it's funny because I live a little bit of a dual life because to quote regular people, this is what I have to say is the reality is, yes, it matters. But the reality is it matters so little, it doesn't matter to you. Mm-hmm. And I'm not being condescending. I'm not being, uh, you know, I'm not besmirching you. I'm simply pointing out that your conditions don't 
allow that to be relevant. Now, in the same breath, there are people that pay me $100 an hour to work out those incredibly fine details for them because it is relevant to them. Mm-hmm. I literally will have people bring me a day plan and they go, all right, at exactly 11.57 on Wednesday, I will be standing in front of the treadmill. What do I do? <laughs> and then I give them a phenomenally detailed answer based on the parameters that I've been given. And that is relevant to them mm-hmm. because they're able to give me that level of precision in which to work. But if you're asking me, you know, what's the best time of day roughly to do it? I'm like, when you roughly have a fucking free hour, that's when. Like, just, just that's the answer. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about, when we talked about the, we talked about kind of the break from whatever we're doing to get rid of this accumulation of fatigue. And we talked yes. about it can be different lengths. When we're taking this break, is this a break at kind of what are we doing with our nutrition and training during this period of time? And how long does that break need to be? Does it depend? Well, of course it depends. Um, the, the, the principles are very easy to understand. The application's a little harder. But as I said, you know, you've got this big accumulation and then you stop training, but the biological processes continue and you need to, of course, fuel them. But how long that biological process is, is predicated on your gene set, you know, how quickly your body naturally does anything, your basal metabolic rate, um, to some degree, the learned behavior over that period of that adaptation, literally, mm-hmm. can affect your responses. Um, lots of other factors come into play and affect that. The biggest one, and this is where I lose most people, less with naturals, because they're actually a little better about this, because they have less tools to work with. This is one that they exploit, and that is record-keeping. Look at your records. Try to determine from past records how long did that, in fact, take the last time. And that gives you a reference to then go, well, this cycle was a little longer. This cycle might have been a little harder. So last time, my true and honest recovery in that you know post-accumulation period was 21 days. So I'm going to say, well, now that this is bigger and better and stronger, and so maybe this is going to be 30 days. But you have a reference model in which to look at, and you're not just guessing. Mm-hmm. You know, because Mike Isratel would tell you, well, studies have consistently shown it's seven to 14 days. Well, it is to the body of population that they did that study with. But by definition, if you're an advanced athlete, you're not in that body. You're mm-hmm. not in the general population study anymore. You're above that. So now your thing, things change. That's one of the big problems with all of the really cool and highly referenced studies from the 60s and 70s is. They weren't doing these studies on advanced athletes. Yeah. They were doing studies on housewives and fat asses and regular people. What the fuck do I have in common with that? You know, there, there, there were no 105-kilogram, 45-year-old men in that study. <laughs> you know, with single-digit body fat, that didn't exist. Hell, there probably weren't any people on the planet like that when they did the study. So, again, you got to have reference material and then context in which to interpret it. Mm-hmm. And that's where, especially drug users, tend to fail because drugs work so well, they, they're not often troubled with the, the, the details. So I often am espousing this idea, well, the details don't matter. The reason I say that, and the, and the details do matter, but the reason I say that is because if you look from a top-down scenario, 
drug-using athletes often have such powerful weapons at their disposal that it overwhelms those details. Not that they don't matter, it's just that they're measurably less relevant because of the additional magnitude of these things they have. Mm -hmm. Whereas if, as a natural athlete, you don't have some of those weapons, one of the biggest weapons you might have is record-keeping to reference everything that's going on in past and present. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. So it's it's just a matter of hierarchy. Put your most valuable thing at the top, deal with that, and then if you have additional time and energy, deal with each thing underneath of it. Mm-hmm. And when we're obviously, when we're massing, we're increasing calories through weeks, or we could be doing that. And then when we're dieting, we're kind of keeping our calories maybe level through weeks and just going for kind of we're accumulating volume and using our own fat tissue to fuel that training and fuel life. Uh, And we talked about refeeds briefly. Are these things that we should be using or are they effective or are they kind of, like you said, null and void when they're used on such a short-term basis? Well, This is going to run you over your hour-long podcast, and I'll try to keep it to a minimum, and maybe we'll come back and do a podcast just on this. Um, my good friend Lyle McDonald was, I, I'm, I'm sure not the originator of the idea, but all through the early 2000s, he was the proponent of diet breaks. He he really got into, and he's that guy. He dwells on, you know, there were these newly discovered hormones, leptin, relin. Uh, you know, some of the subtle feedback hormones in the gut and intestine and uh, amylase and all these little things. And they do show a very acute reflection of momentary diet. You eat something and those hormones change very proximally, like insulin. You fucking drink a soda and your insulin shoots way up and your insulin, you know, and it comes down. But just like, for instance, insulin, when you start pulling back the lens and looking at the stock market over a bigger and bigger time, you begin to realize that these wild protuberations are just relatively smooth lines on the long term in terms of actual hormone regulation. Mm -hmm. The moment-to-moment exaggerations are wild, but the average is pretty smooth. Um, So... Over the years, Lyle has become less and less dogmatic about these diet breaks. And he's really, partly because of my influence, I'll, I'll take that credit, <laughs> and partly because he is a good, honest, decent human being, yeah. he's begun to just back off and say, I was a little ex- over over uh, rambunctious about this. They're not the deal I made them out to be. Um, and he's come to agree on two factors. They're real... But to actually get a physiological manifestation of the change, it has to be, and something I say over and over, over time. Mm -hmm. It's not something you can affect in one meal or one day or probably even one week. It's a period of time. It takes you a decade to get fat, and it takes you a relatively long period of time to lose that fat. Mm -hmm. You don't get fat in a decade and then skinny in 10 days. Same thing with the, the, another analogy that I would use as a biologist is if you had an, a wild, an animal in the wild, you know, a, a cat on the savanna, and it's not eaten in weeks, it is starving. By definition, it is starving. It is metabolizing its own tissues to live. Yeah. And it luckily makes a kill or stumbles onto a kill and it gorges itself. Now, clear your mind, answer this question. The next morning when it gets up, 
Is it still starving? Ooh. I guess, yeah. yeah, because over the long yes. term, it's been so many days. All of those biological processes are still dialed towards starving. Now, if it eats every day in a row, those processes will begin to release and go, oh, the crisis is subsiding. But if it eats like an asshole one day and it goes back to no food the next day, that goes away. It's just irrelevant. They're back to starving. That's how most people treat a diet break. It's an emotional reprieve. It's possibly a cultural and social reprieve. They get to go out with their friends. They get to eat. They get to drink. They get to whatever. But it's proximal and transient. It's not affecting the fundamental systems. There's you got to envision it like a cockpit in an airplane. And there's all these fucking dials all over the place. You're telling me that one meal is sufficient to rearrange all those dials back to normal? No, that's foolish. It's a momentary blip. It's just like overtraining. You know, every once in a while, just because I'm an asshole and I'm old and I'm not training to compete in anything, I will perform a workout that is just ridiculous and unnecessary. <laughs> I'll just, I'll, I'm going to do 40 sets of squats today. Fuck <laughs> off doing it. And people are like, oh, my God, that's overtraining. And I'm like, no, it's not. Because I'm obviously not going to do this tomorrow and the next day and the next day. I'm going to do it today because it's funny. Mm-hmm. It's like overeating. It's like my equivalent of a repeat. <laughs> just being an asshole because it's funny. <laughs> I can do it and I want to, and that's all there is to it. But I'm not going to continue to do it. Now, if I trained like that for a week, yeah, I'd be overtrained. Yeah. But if I did it one time, I'm just going to be sore and tired and giggle like a, like a little girl because it's funny. <laughs> and if you have got time, I'm happy, and I think the viewers would be happy to continue this. We can always, I'd love to get you back on the podcast, but if you've got time, <laughs> I'm happy to keep going. I, I'm fine. I have nothing scheduled. I always uh, try to be very generous and make sure I have enough time to accommodate everybody. And on top of that, as soon as I hang up here, I'm just going to wander around in my kitchen and pontificate to the dog. <laughs> the dog knows more about chemistry and pharmacology than most uh, people. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> so with the, the so we know that the single day refeed isn't going to provide us a prolonged physiological benefit. At all. And you've talked about a week? How long do we do? We need multiple weeks. Do we know this yet? No. Well, again, it, it, we do know the response curves on certain biological processes, but the response curves are almost completely proportional to the stress magnitude. Got again, you. it's like going out in the sun. If you get five minutes of sun, how much rest do you need? Well, five minutes, not much. You go out in the sun for five hours, how much rest do you need? Measurably more. Now, let's say you go out in the sun until you're sunburnt. How long do you need? Well, fuck, you might need a week. Yeah. So the response is predictable as long as you understand the system. So the, 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 the quote, refeed, you got to stop thinking about it as feed. It's not a refeed. It's a reset. If you're trying to reset back to homeostasis or, or, or some semblance thereof, now you're talking that it, it, you, you're losing the concept of food, and now you're talking about a biological process. Yeah. Biological processes take a long time. It takes nine months to make a baby. You know, it's it's a long. This shit takes a long time. The body is by by very design. The the, the secret of our success is that we're not acutely responsive to anything. If we were, we wouldn't live. Mm-hmm. We'd go out of the sun, we'd burn it, and fucking die. No, we have these slow acting adaptative responses slow acting adaptative responses so a change in diet for one day isn't going to direct your whole 
physiological behavior because if it did, that would mean you would die. One day without food, the next day you'd wake up dead. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's not very fucking effective, is it? By definition, they have to be slow moving or we wouldn't have gotten to here. So with that concept in mind, it's the, the amount of rest you're going to need is proportional to the amount of work you did. So if you dieted hard for eight weeks, you're probably talking about a two or three week, possibly even four week period to get back to baseline. Mm -hmm. If you dieted half-assed for three weeks, you might need three days. But it's, it's responsive to and proportional to the stress. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. I think if people can think of yo-yo dieting, I think this gives us a great example of people who push really hard and then they swing all the way up and they go back down because they don't give i mean people are good at dieting they're not good at keeping that fat off once they've got it and again the again people want just like you said they want to focus in on this very small thing think about this everybody acknowledges and even to a rough degree understands the idea of set point if you do roughly nothing your body's going to look roughly a certain way why because that's one, where it's programmed genetically and culturally and socially. Yeah. But more importantly, that's what the input has been over a long period of time. Every day you get up, you go to the same job, eat roughly the same food, whatever. And ironically, the result is roughly the same thing. So every single day for possibly decades, you're giving this very consistent input into a machine that does the calculation and gives you a very similar output. So if you've got a decade of this homeostasis, how much influence do you need to change that much consistency? It's going to be significant. Mm -hmm. You don't get, that's why people that like a, the, the fat guy will lose a hundred pounds in a year. And they're like, oh my God, I'm winning on whatever. And I'm like, no, you've got 40 years of fatness to one year of thinness. I was like, you're still not even remotely balancing the scale. Yeah. The minute you back off, your body's going to remember where it wants to be or where at least it thinks you want to be. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of problem we get into here is if you've dieted really hard for a period of time, your body's remembering that diet no matter what the fuck you're doing here. Yeah. You have to give it time to forget what you just taught it. And I guess this relates a little bit to the fact that once you've got body fat cells, they don't vanish, they're still there and they're much easier to refill. Once you've been obese, you're kind of always fighting that old obese Absolutely, because body. you've put a great deal of investment into programming that as the correct answer. That's how biology works. You've invested an enormous amount of your resources, most likely unintentionally, but you did. You vested an enormous amount of your biological energy into creating an environment that makes your body believe that that's the result you wanted. Mm -hmm. And now everything that's not that is contrary to your nature. That's you. You, you, you see? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I guess it, it's very similar to once you've kind of got muscle and you've had it for a long period of time, it's easier to keep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just recently, they're undusting some Eastern European studies that show drug use at any period in your, you know, farm, uh, anabolic steroid and, and testosterone use at any point in your career essentially permanently changes you in such a way that you now have potential above what you are normally programmed with. It's exactly that same thing. Mm -hmm. It's exactly that same thing. No, it's super interesting. And I think we've come to a good point here, which 
we could draw a line and we can get you on to maybe talk about another time we can talk about kind of peak week pro protocols or kind of we weeks leading into that sort of week or kind of the weeks after so once you've come out of a competition what to go about unless you awesome. want to talk about them now <laughs> all encompass reverse dieting oh jesus i'll channel lane norton while i'm doing that. <laughs> so do, do we want to talk about that now or should we meet up again your show you may do whatever you like sir okay I'm... if if you're completely free let's go for it if we want to go for which of these do you feel are you good on kind of peak week strategies? Do you do this with your clients for naturals and like you understand like you've got the thing and, and I'm gonna be completely forthright with you just because I really don't have another version of me. Uh, <laughs> that's why I it took so long to find a wife and get married is because I, I I just can't fake my personality. That's, that's good. Just what fucking, it's what you fucking get. Um the reality is I typically almost to the point of always decline to work with natural athletes simply because one i don't find it enormously interesting mm -hmm. it's like watching that car race with the station wagon <laughs> it's just very slow moving and unexciting to me because it's fucking slow moving and unexciting and secondly um and this is something that i pride myself on i have arrogance in my humility as as it were there are people out there that do that way better than i do Lyle McDonald is much more skilled at dealing with a natural athlete than I am. Mm -hmm. uh, I understand all the processes. I understand, but he's got decades of experience doing it. He's superior at it. I can lead you through the, the concepts and the processes. Mm -hmm. um, as far as having that nuance of specificity, I really don't have it because I'm just not that guy. Mm -hmm. I've not taken the time to have it. So mm -hmm. if you wanted to talk about that, you have to understand it's under that context that it's, it's not my speciality. It's just something that I know by virtue of knowing what I know. No, I think that, I mean, that's, I think all of the listeners will appreciate you saying that. I, the worst thing is when people try and fake that they kind of have some kind of superior knowledge of something. But I think even the basic principles and the concepts behind it, I think still get people a little bit confused. So if, if you want okay. to talk about those, I still think they'd be incredibly helpful. Absolutely. Um, well, uh, you're, and you're talking about a bodybuilding contest, so you're dieting into a bodybuilding contest. Yeah. All right. Um, typically, and this is with drug-using athletes, but I don't think that the, the time frame is overly different. Um, I would typically set out a diet of official diet, as it were, of 16 weeks. Now, typically, the, the behaviors leading into that diet would, in fact, slightly taper toward it. So there's kind of almost a pre-diet to the diet. Good. But I say that rather at the 16-week mark, that's officially now you are doing this. Okay. Of those 16 weeks, there's only 14 weeks of diet. The final two weeks I set aside as special behaviors in preparation for the contest. So we got 14 weeks of very strategic and relatively scaled diminishment in body fat over time. The reason 14 weeks is a good number is because very roughly, particularly in drug using, but across the board, the maximum amount of body fat sensibly lost is about a pound or about 500 grams per week. Mm -hmm. That works out to about 14 weeks. My rough idea is you should not be more than 15 pounds too fat ever. If you are, I don't really want to talk to you because you haven't done all the previous shit well. Okay, so we're coming into contests. We're always in the realm of losing about 15 pounds of body fat. Cool. You know, 
So that's pretty strategically one pound per week. It's actually more like one and a half in the beginning and half at the end. But over the smooth average, it's about 500 grams. I typically go between three and 600 grams of fat loss per week over time. Mm -hmm. And it's diminishing toward that you know, level. So again, it's pretty straightforward. You calculate you know, your, your total calories at that point, and you basically do the math a pound of fat or 500 grams, as it were, is about, and I use round numbers. Please don't bust my balls. <laughs> I do know these numbers inside and out. I could quote them to be in fucking joules, but roughly 4,000 calories. Mm -hmm. Seven days in a week, that's roughly eh, 600 calories, kilocalories per day, deficit. Keyword deficit. That doesn't necessarily mean from diet, although it could, yeah. but it means an accumulated deficit through behavior, and behavior encompasses diet, activity, drug use, etc. Behavioral changes creating a 600-calorie deficit over time. Okay? Pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. Now, as your body mass diminishes, the deficit must increase because proportionally, it's just like that elevating your calories proportionally over what you're doing is as your body mass diminishes, the amount of energy it's consuming goes down, yep. so the deficit has to go down commensurately. So to get a, a relative 600-calorie deficit at the end, that might actually be a 1,200-calorie deficit to generate the effects of the original 600. Yeah, brilliant. And we could talk at length about why that is, how systems – and everybody wants to talk about downregulate. They, oh, my, my T3, my thyroid, my this thing, my that thing downregulated. The reality is, especially in a natural athlete, that's not actually what happens. What happens is your body becomes more efficient. Mm-hmm. It's like somebody, you take some office worker that's never exercised in their life and you put them on a treadmill. It's phenomenally arduous because they have none of the systems prepared. They don't have sufficient blood volume. They don't have sufficient white red blood cells. They don't have any of the enzymes necessary to metabolize sugar or fat or any of this shit. Mm -hmm. Plus they weigh a ton. Now over time, they burn off some of the body fat. They get lighter. Well, moving a smaller object's easier. That's pretty simple. So their mass is going down, so the activity in itself is getting easier. Plus, all of the systems have now come on. It's like having a factory that was at half capacity. And now you start ramping up the capacity. Yeah. You hire more laborers. You do all this shit. Well, of course it's going to work better and produce more product. Same thing here. So over time, it's not that the processes downregulate. It's that the processes upregulate and become more effective over time, which forces you to impose greater and greater demands on that effectiveness to generate the same result. That's key. Most people spend their time bitching about the body doing exactly what they're telling it to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, I used to lose weight at 2,000 calories, and now I have to be at 2,000 calories. I'm like, yeah, you've spent the last six months teaching your body to operate on lower calories. Mm -hmm. I mean, why are you bitching about that? That's what you did. You know, you want to still lose weight on 3,000 calories, you have to use different means. Yeah. Those means happen to be pharmacology. You can do that. You can teach your body to shed body weight at the same calorie content, but it's because you're implementing greater and greater pharmacological stresses. Mm -hmm. But you have to understand that that's what you're doing. So anyway, so you got 14 weeks, roughly 600 to 300 grams of loss per week over time. Um Quite honestly, that's about the size of the story. That's it. You consistently create that deficit by debiting some food and yeah. implementing some activity. And I do say activity because people get so fucking wound up about their precious cardio. Cardio <laughs> is 
stupid. It's a bad idea. Um, I literally don't. I will say I don't believe in it. That makes it sound like it's fucking Santa Claus. <laughs> it's a real thing. I believe that it's very poorly applied and inappropriate most of the time. Mm -hmm. The only time I really acknowledge cardio as a valid thing is if you need to modulate the effectors of cardio, i.e. your heart and lungs. If you're resting pulse and blood pressure too high, do cardio. You're exercising the cardiovascular system. Yeah. Just like if your arms are too small, do curls. It's fucking pretty simple. Mm -hmm. Now, in the case of going from, you know, low double-digit body fat to low single-digit body fat, which is completely removed from the regular world. No yeah. person is going to ever do that. Most people would be tickled to be in the condition a bodybuilder is before they begin their diet. Yeah. Okay? That's important to remember, is once you start talking about contest dieting, you are completely outside the subset of regular people. You are in a completely unique subset. Yeah. Okay, so none of this applies to people. This applies to bodybuilders. So I acknowledge that cardiovascular exercise is a way to bleed off calories, waste calories. Yeah. Again, Americans are car nuts. It's analogous to putting the car up on jacks and putting a brick on the accelerator and just spinning the tires. That's what you're doing. That's what cardio is. It's just randomly revving the motor to get rid of energy. Yeah. For some reason, you put too much gas in this car, and you need to get it out. The way you're doing it is just spinning the tires. That's what cardio is. It has no deep significance. There's no religious component or any other thing. It's just fucking wasting energy. Okay. So between not eating energy and wasting energy, you create this escalating deficit to maintain that rough 600 relative calorie deficit over time. Cool. Theoretically, 14 weeks out from the event, you arrive at very nearly that five, six, seven percent body fat that your target was. Mm -hmm. And that's really how that goes. Now I would, you know, designing this, I would modulate some differences in the volume and intensity of the training and the, maybe the volume and intensity of the cardio. Um, but most of those are simply because as an emotional being, your abilities wax and wane. So I would try and modulate the training to match that, or if not match that, uh, make it within modulations that your body can match. Mm -hmm. I get a better idea. Um, but that's really about it. I mean, it's not nearly as complicated or mystical. I mean, people want to, you know, charge hundreds and hundreds of dollars for basically that. You got a yeah. starting point, end point, you scale the calories accordingly, and that's about it. Now, overall general concepts, priority would, and this is counterintuitive to bodybuilders, priority would shift away from weight training the more proximal to the event weight training to build muscle hypertrophy or even to maintain muscle is a long-term process mm -hmm. it by is by definition i mean you gain what do you gain two three kilograms a year i mean you're not talking about something that you're going to affect in the moment-to-moment -moment basis so as you approach the contest things other than weight training become ever more important okay Achieving your maximal leanness, practicing your posing, practicing your stage presentation, the logistics of travel and organization and packing and food prep and all this. Stuff. So many more things take precedent over the actual weight training, yet you still have a finite amount of physical and emotional and, and, and even organizational energy. Yeah. So weight training loses priority. You still have to do some. You can't fucking present a great physique without lifting weights, obviously. Mm -hmm. But the idea of 
erecting any sort of measurable presentational change in your physique is nominal. Yeah. So the priority of weight training reduces, the priority of fat loss increases, as well as so do all the other factors. So any concept kind of based attitude, that's also taking place. Mm -hmm. The volume and intensity of weight training is probably tapering to near nothing. The volume and intensity of cardio is probably escalating to a breaking point, yeah. as well as these new factors of practicing posing, presentation, tanning, all the things that need to go on. Most drug-using bodybuilders seem to ignore that stuff. Uh, they typically pass it off on their girlfriend or boyfriend <laughs> or person, coach. Um, but they're relevant, and they also matter yeah. biologically. They matter. So now you're at 14 weeks out from the event. You have all your strategical shit done. You've practiced your posing. You practice that. And now we're just talking about taking this lean, relatively overtrained physique yeah. and bring it to the stage. That's where the clever ideas of over uh, of of super compensation, carb loading, water manipulation, yeah. that stuff comes in. And again, I can't in this remaining whatever 15 minutes can't give you you know a take home guide on how to do it but i can give you the general concepts of what you're trying to do and why mm -hmm. and vaguely how they would look okay ideally you're now in this very nearly overtrained you know much like the end of your accumulation in a yeah. mass building one more week would be too fucking much that's where you want to be day one of that final 14 days okay for a reason because the next step is a depletion of your overall carbohydrate stores. You're intentionally trying, and by the way, that is almost exactly the medical scientific definition of overtraining, okay? So you're literally, your next goal is to intentionally, systematically, and whole body overtrain, mm -hmm. to deplete your local carbohydrate stores to near zero and make your body want them. Yeah. Trick your body into believing you are literally starving and spending your days running for your life. It's a fight for flight, period. So that first day of the 14, you would roughly increase your water intake because secondarily or separately from this, you want to implement a scenario where, you're, again, your body is very um, uh, well-designed in that it, it doesn't waste where it needs to and it conserves where it needs to. So if you start consuming additional water, your body gets very comfortable biologically with the idea of releasing water. Okay. We have plenty. It's coming in in gobs. We don't need to hold on to it. Water retention would not be a priority when you're just being overwhelmed with fucking water. Very cool. Pretty yeah. Simple. From a biological point of view, it's, it's, it's childlike in its simplicity. So you're going to elevate your water to make your body very comfortable with releasing water. And you're going to train all the major muscle groups of the body to near exhaustion to deplete your stores of local carbohydrates. Now, again, thinking in general overall terms, the first day you're going to have the most storage. It's how storage works. You know, if you have a bucket of food, the first day the bucket's full. After you eat some, the bucket's not quite as full, and so on and so on and so on. So rather, obviously, your training volume, even though the goal is exhaustion, will taper cool. because what you're exhausting is, by definition, tapering. So over that first week, you have this very high volume descending to pretty high volume, whole body, exhaustive training, and lots of water. Some people would also add lots of salt. I tend to think that's a little overstated and overrated, but it's a thing. Okay. You know, you might want to add also additional salt. 
so that your body brings up, because it has salt, it needs to bring up potassium and calcium and magnesium to relatively correct the balance. Yeah. And so then when you stop having the salt, you have this reservoir of potassium, sodium, magnesium, etc. You can do that. I tend to downplay that importance of that. Not because it isn't important, but because I think it's one of the harder things to really modulate without okay. practice. So I tend to steer people toward it, avoiding it only because it's kind of an advanced tactic. Yeah. But it does work, and the principle is very simple. So you've got this period of high water, high exhaustive training, and then you basically, as simple as this is in the final seven days, reverse it. You have almost no training because you don't want to expend any additional energy. Mm -hmm. uh, you have re ever-reducing water because you want your body to expel as much as possible. And you take in, again, just like the dissension of exhaustion, you have a high level of carbohydrates because your body has none and it wants it. Yeah. And then the next day it has some, so you apply less. And then the next day it has even more, so you apply less. So you have this descent of exhaustion and carbohydrates, and then you have this ascent and descent into the contest. So the last five to seven days are carbs, some carbs, some carbs, not that many carbs, go to the contest. Yeah. That it's It's really, that's about as simple as it is. You, you know, depending on your body mass, your sex, your race, all those things, the numbers shift to meet who you are, but that's the rough outline of what it is. And, mm -hmm. and importantly, why you're doing that. Now, what that leaves you with is theoretically, the day of the contest, your depleted muscles have stored a whole bunch of carbohydrates, your kidneys have expelled a whole bunch of water because you've taught them that that's an acceptable thing yeah. to do. So you have this 12-hour window in time where you're stuffed full of carbohydrates relatively dehydrated you go on stage you look great the next day you're a fucking mess okay that's that's the ideal answer and that's the moment where lane norton would then start blah 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 yeah. <laughs> and metabolic damage and he's a phd and everything's fucking great send him money um that's a whole separate conversation and i don't even want to because i'll have a fucking stroke i don't want to <laughs> about that right now but, but that's pretty much where the story ends in the bodybuilding contest scenario i think mm -hmm. no that was that's super interesting and believe it or not you don't work with natural athletes but i do and i keep up to date with different methods that people do things and that's pretty much exactly how it would run for a natural athlete anyway from what i've gathered anyway so and the difference between that and what a drug user would do is we would implement drugs that would exaggerate all of those responses. Mm -hmm. The depletion would be greater and faster and to a deeper inroad. And then the compensation, you know, with insulin and, uh, you know, uh, glute force sensitivity drugs, and all that, the responses would be greater. So instead of being able to load 400 grams, we'll be able to load 1200 grams. But the principles and why it's working are exactly the same. Mm -hmm. And that's why I love like your explanation of everything was very much, and the whole time it's very biological, it's very factual, kind of this is how the body works. And once right. I feel like once I get that understanding, you kind of rather than looking at things, you look things from afar and you kind of understand the systems and you have much more power to control stuff rather than getting lost because you don't really understand why it works. Yes, that's that is the key. It, until you understand why your body's trying to do what it does. You really have no power to influence anything. Mm -hmm. And once you actually have that understanding, the biggest thing you understand is you actually have surprisingly little power. The best you can do 
is get out of the way and not be at loggerheads with what your body's trying to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, fantastic. And I think the audience, I think, will have taken a ton away from this. And I think, like, I just want to thank you so much for coming on, for sharing your time with us and sharing your knowledge. And if people do want to get hold of you, best place to find you is your website, I believe. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and I've gone to recently, I'm, I'm, uh, if it, if it hasn't showed, I'm a bit old and curmudgeon. Uh, I, I'm only recently becoming somewhat socially, uh, digitally technical. <laughs> and uh, I, I took some really good advice, and I'm very pleased that I did. Um, I've made all of my uh, outlets uh, the same nomenclature. Yeah. So the website is Team Evil GSP, and so is everything else. Facebook, Instagram, uh, the, the YouTube, all of that. So anywhere on the web, roughly speaking, if you search Team Evil GSP, you'll ultimately find something relating to me or by me. So that's pretty much all you need to know on whatever modality. If I'm there, it's Team Evil GSP. Fantastic. And I'll make sure that we've got them below, the links below in the description and people can find you and hopefully we can get you on again. I'm sure the, the listeners are going to kind of request that anyway. So yeah, thanks so much. Of course, of course. I appreciate it. Uh, any chance I get to talk uh, to someone other than myself or my dogs, <laughs> uh, it's usually pretty helpful to me. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> makes, makes me feel slightly less eccentric. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you soon.